Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly, fully vaccinated Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is Michael J. Stern. He writes for USA Today. He's a former federal prosecutor, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. But before we get into it, I always try to keep these intros short. I do have a tier on Patreon that allows listeners to listen ad-free and with a much shorter intro. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. It's patrons who keep the show going. If you enjoy today's conversation, take a look at the About page. Check out some of my past guests. You'll see most of the time I talk to political people, but occasionally I interview actors because I used to be one. Just visit Patreon com slash start me up. I do two free shows a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by What's Up With Me, a show for patrons only after each free show. Check out the variety of tier options at patreon.com slash start me up. You can make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I've included a link that allows you to donate through PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes slash Apple podcast store, become a subscriber, it's free, and while you're there, Please rate the show and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Michael J. Stern. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate it. Well, today's really not a good day. I'm in a very fucking bad mood because of what we're seeing happening in Texas. And it's it's affecting um, it's affecting women everywhere and it's affecting men everywhere. And it's affecting all of us because I think that if... If there's any of us, I mean, this goes for, you know, racial equality, too. But when one of us is not free, none of us are free. And, um, you know, it's like Hillary Clinton said women's rights are human's rights. And I believe it was Maya Angelou who basically said what I, you know, we all have to be free in order for us to be free. And I just want to ask you about this because I'm seeing a lot of people. It's my pet peeve, but I'm seeing a lot of people posting, you know, we are in Gilead is it Gilead or Gilead I don't know how to say it I haven't watched uh, the Handmaiden's Tale um I know I should but I haven't I don't want to compare us to that because to me when I say we're there uh what that does it it's it sets this kind of tone as if we've given up and we're like yeah well it's here and we all can't do anything and I would I would rather not see that I would rather see the anger and the desire to fight this all the way than okay giving up it's it's Gilead Jillian. Yeah, I, I think what's going on is the horror of it all is setting into mm-hmm. people's minds. And, you know, it is hyperbolically comparable to, mm-hmm. you know, is. the circumstance in The Handmaid's Tale in the sense that it is so crazy. And it's something that I don't think any of us would have expected. Um, you know, the idea that the Supreme Court could essentially remain silent and allow a state to strip someone of what I think is a human right, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I also understand completely with your point, which is, you know, if we perceive that we are there, if Mm -hmm. we're at doom's door, (laughs) then no one's going to do anything to try and change it. And Mm -hmm. I agree with you that, you know, there are things that we can do to make an effort to change this and we have to do those things. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I can't even believe that there's the, the Texas government has allowed as allowing citizens to turn in people who have had abortions and collect ten thousand dollars. I mean, they're putting bounties out there and the Supreme Court says nothing about that. And I just, you know, oh, my God, as a woman, I'm 53 years old and I'm never going to get pregnant. So it would be easy for me to go, oh, well, this doesn't affect me. But it totally affects me because, you know, just as a woman when when there are laws that hurt women and keep women from from equality in any way 
then it hurts all of us. It doesn't just hurt me. It hurts you. It hurts all of us. Yeah, listen, I I have never had the opportunity and will never have the opportunity to be pregnant as a man, but I feel the same way you do. And you know, reiterating what you just said, listen, if we don't if we don't all have basic human rights, then none of us have secured human rights. Yeah. And it's infuriating. And what I think the court is doing is even more infuriating because there's an insidiousness to it. What they have done is essentially remain silent in response to a law that effectively abandons abortion mm-hmm. um, in Texas. And it strikes me that they're sort of uh, trying to softly and gently slip into a broader abortion ban by remaining mm-hmm. silent on this law because mm-hmm. you know. There is a Mississippi law that relates to a case that the Supreme Court has agreed to take that outlaws abortions after 15 weeks. And the danger is, of course, that there they're going to allow it expressly rather than just remaining silent. And so Hmm. this whole idea that the Supreme Court strikes me that they perceive that they can gently slide into uh, a full abortion ban or substantively full abortion ban is infuriating because yeah. you simply cannot gently and quietly steal someone's human rights. Do you think, I mean, I always talk to my guests about 2022, 2024. I'm just wondering, I mean, okay, I, I'm skip, I'm going to probably be skipping all around. I have all these questions and stuff I want to talk to you about. And I'm, you know, I think organic questions will come up like this one. So because I always ask people what, you know, there's a couple things here. Number one, I don't know if we're going to get our voting rights acts passed or bills passed um regardless of that do you think that today's decision is going to motivate more people to vote do you think it's going to have a positive impact impact for democrats number one uh i don't know you know i i I would like to say yes everyone is going to get riled up everyone Mm -hmm. is going to be uh, you know, interested in redoubling their efforts, everyone's going to start donating money, everyone's going to start going out to the polls. I hope that that's the case. Mm-hmm. The The flip side of the danger is that people say, listen, it's over, there's nothing really we can do. And at some point, you feel so demoralized mm-hmm. that you just won't, you know, want to participate in the process. And that's what I'm scared of. Yeah, I saw a meme today, and I wish that I would have saved it, but it was um, from people in Germany and they talked about how things happened so slowly and with each law people were just like oh well it won't matter in the bigger picture mm-hmm. and you know and then eventually they're wearing gold stars and so it's that's what I feel like is it, it could happen here I mean I do, on the positive side of this we did see record turnout in 2020 we saw Joe Biden get like almost 8 million more votes. But the, the, the sad part is the negative part is that Trump got a lot of votes in that election, too. And- well, we did. But also, you know, the thing that concerns me is, you know, was the 2020 election an anomaly in the sense that mm-hmm. people so despised yeah. Donald Trump and were so fed up with four years of daily nightmares every time they opened a newspaper or turned on their computer or or turned on their television or sat in their car and listened to the radio, was it that they despised Trump so badly that that's what motivated them to the polls? And, you know, there is no Trump. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, despite the horror of what the Supreme Court has done and what they're likely to do, you know, I don't think that they are perceived 
in the same way right. as a motivating factor like Donald Trump was. And, and yeah, right. that's that's a danger. It is. And I mean, I, I, one of the things that gets me so angry is that, you know, uh, McConnell didn't give a black president who was legitimate uh, the uh, the opportunity to nominate and he just blocked it the opportunity to nominate a Supreme Court justice when Scalia died. And then because of bullshit and lies going on for years about Hillary Clinton, because of the Russian disinformation that flooded the uh, social media in 2016, they were able, Russians were well, able. Yeah, yeah, but wait a minute. It was also the Washington Post and the well, New yes, York Times. Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. It was a combination of the way the media treated Trump. It was, you know, I mean, and I've talked about this before, so I'll be as brief as I can, but initially I supported Bernie in 2016, and I saw with my own eyes like groups that I was in where it was all about let's just be pro Bernie and let's not attack Hillary those groups became just vicious anti-Hillary rabbit holes and I you know at that time I didn't realize that it was disinformation and and I was unfortunately kind of caught up in some of that I never went so far to hate her I never went so far to see her as the big threat that they painted her out to be I just had certain issues with her and I and I preferred Bernie's vision I feel like I've evolved since then because I still prefer Bernie's vision but I don't think he would have been able to deliver it and, right exactly and I and I think and I look at her and it was like I, there was there was one thing that really changed my mind about her to a much more positive take was it was uh, PBS did I think it was on both Trump and Hillary and they went through their childhood all the way through up to now and you know I didn't realize Hillary went undercover in school systems to reveal racism I you know I did know that she fought for Medicare for all Um, but I mean there was a lot of stuff I didn't know about her and when I learned you know the disinformation campaign by Republicans and in many ways by the press and by different anti-Hillary groups have done her a huge disservice Mm -hmm. in masking, you know, the amazing amount Mm -hmm. of good that she has done and the tremendous dedication that she has made to public service. I just don't think she gets credit for what she deserves. She absolutely doesn't. And, you know, it was funny because I got a message today from somebody who said that she was disappointed in what I was tweeting because fans of Hillary Clinton um, you know, blah, 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 and that she wanted just to move on. And so I said, well, first of all, I'm not a fan. This is politics. And I don't care if you like her or if you don't like her. It doesn't fucking matter. It's politics. It's not a popularity contest. But unfortunately, yeah. as you said, because of the disinformation, um, so many people, and I mean, I hate to say that I was included, and in, I mean, I did vote for her enthusiastically in 2016. And then I did realize over time, that, oh, I understand why Bernie couldn't have done all the things that he wanted to do. Um, Again, still, you know, I mean, I'm an Elizabeth Warren fan, big time. But when you look at politics, you have to go with, A, who's viable, and who's going to be able to get shit done. And I wish that Warren was viable, but she just wasn't. People didn't want to vote for her. It doesn't matter what the reasons were. People saw Biden as that guy, and he, he has turned out to be, in my opinion, you know, he was the man for the moment, and I think he's doing a really good job as president. But- yeah, I'm completely with you there. He was the perfect person for the moment. He was exactly what we needed. And my expectation was that he was going to 
you know, because because we were so desperate to get rid of Donald Trump and because, you know, Biden sometimes can step on his own words and people are really good at attacking him. (laughs) My expectation was that there was going to be a bit of a jumbled mess at times. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen that. You know, I know that he's been trashed uh, by Republicans and unfortunately by some Democrats about Afghanistan. But the man did Mm -hmm. what he promised he was going to do. Mm -hmm. He did what Donald Trump as president obligated him to do. Mm -hmm. And what he did, he did with compassion and caring and an effort to really do the right thing. I mean, I just cannot fault the guy for that. And I, you know, write political articles looking for fault in people. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, I get it. <laughs> I, I'm happy to fault someone if they've done something wrong. But, right. you know, these these little picky uni things that people are trying yeah. to tear him apart with um, really is frustrating for me. Yeah, it is. It's very. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that it's people are having a hard time getting anything to stick to him. I mean, I know obviously with the Ukraine stuff, that was all bullshit and they couldn't make it stick. This is something. Afghanistan is not, you know, bullshit. It it happened. Um, but I think, you know, when we look back on this, we will recognize that it was successful and that I think, you know, history will remember Biden for getting out, getting out of a 20 year unwinnable war. Um, right. And listen, people have this romanticized notion from television and the movies about how you can beautifully and, <laughs> you know, uh, beautifully end yeah. a 20 year war that let's just say it out loud. We lose, you know, we were losing. We lost. Yeah, and failure. so this notion that we were going to somehow swoop in, you know, with some Tom Cruise character and rescue every yeah. single person that we would like to rescue and take out every single piece of machinery that we left behind, you know, through some mission impossible uh, circumstance just isn't plausible. And no. people have become so acclimated to the movie romanticized mm-hmm. notion of how things should work in real life that if it doesn't, if real life doesn't stand up to that, mm-hmm. then they're disappointed yeah. and they're angry and they look for someone to blame. And that's what happened here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I think though, I think though, what is also interesting is that he's a white man and he's fatherly, he's paternal. And I think he catches a lot of breaks for that. And, you know, if they're a woman who made the same decision, I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't know what's going to stick to him when, when it comes to Afghanistan and time. You know, right now you're hearing all the angry people scream. But, right. um, you know, all the angry people who were not screaming when people died in Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan when Trump was president and even when, when Obama was president. But all of a sudden now they're screaming because they want to stick something on him. But it's much harder. And I hate to say this as a fucking woman. I hate to say this, but it's much harder to get something to stick to an old paternal white man who's doing a good job than it is. You know, it's very easy to stick things to women or make them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, if Hillary were president now, she would be skewered at the idea, you know, that she allowed us to lose this war. Never mind that she didn't get into the war. Never mind that Trump (laughs) negotiated the exit from the war. But she would have been the weak woman that couldn't make us win this war that we had lost a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and it just just sucks. But you know what? I'm going to change the subject because you're posting about this and I know only a little, so you can fill us in a little bit more. But I know Kevin McCarthy, I think, and so did Marjorie Three Names, threatened phone companies uh, about uh, congressional the re- the request to preserve records. So fill us in on that. 
Yeah. So what little left of my head that did not explode in our last five <laughs> minutes of conversation <laughs> is on the precipice of exploding now. So what's going on is that the the House committee that is investigating the January 6th insurrection in which a bunch of violent insurrectionists uh, tried to take over the Capitol and stop Biden from being duly um you know, duly noted as the winner of the presidential election, they're investigating. And one of the things that they want to do is they want to get telephone records from phone companies and communication companies. And, and this is important. They're not trying to get the substance of the telephone calls. So if they were going to try and do that, they would have had to have a wiretap up. And there's a very complicated, lengthy, restrictive process to get the actual conversations. All they're trying to get are the records which show on this date, at this time, this telephone number contacted that telephone number. Mm -hmm. Now, my assumption as to why they're doing that is the exact reason that I would do it if I were still a prosecutor. And that is because you wouldn't expect Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Getz and Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan to be having telephone communication with people who are about to commit a violent insurrection. Mm -hmm. And if you do see those contacts between numbers that are connected to members, Republican members of Congress and people who turned out to be these insurrectionists, you can make a circumstantial conclusion. You can draw a, an understanding, a belief, it's evidence that there was some potentially some agreement between them or at least mm -hmm. some information that was going back and forth between them about the insurrection that was about to take place and while it was taking place. Mm -hmm. And Kevin McCarthy, as the head of the GOP House, has said publicly now and on Twitter and, and anywhere else to whomever will listen, if you, the telephone companies, release these records, these telephone records, we're going to get you. And somehow and people have said to him, well, wait a minute, you're saying that that's illegal for them to release these records, but you haven't explained why it's illegal. I mean, mm -hmm. there has to be a statute, a law mm -hmm. that makes it illegal. So just so you know, I got as a prosecutor these records all of the time. It was almost perfunctory. I mean, it was a pro forma function. You know, we would get these records from telephone companies and we'd, you know, spend hours and days going through them. And sometimes you would see these connections. And what I believe is happening is that Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene, both of whom are screaming very loudly about not getting these records, about not allowing the Democrats to get these records, know and believe that there is going to be some connection mm -hmm. between Republican members of Congress and people who stormed the Capitol violently, that you're going to see telephone calls between the phones owned by members of Congress and owned by these insurrectionists. And that's going to be damning evidence <sighs> that there was some connection between Republican members of Congress and the people who tried to take over the Capitol uh, on January 6th. Okay, so as a former federal prosecutor, uh, what – let's say, you know, that that's all proven and they can, they can put all that together, then what? Like, I mean, are they going to – I know this is Congress, which is different than you being a prosecutor, but I mean, what's, what can what, – what might happen? 
Well, it depends on what other evidence there is. And so it would be unusual to have just a phone record be enough to say, well, you know, because they had this contact, mm -hmm. they must be guilty of a conspiracy to overthrow the federal government, or they must be guilty of, you know, the assaults that took place. But my assumption is, and I'm no longer working for the Justice Department, so I don't know what evidence they have, mm -hmm. but my assumption is that they've collected a lot of other evidence that may show mm. connections between Republican members of Congress who were very vocal for the weeks, you know, leading up to the insurrection, very vocal about their objection to the election, about their claim that the election was stolen, and potentially that they somehow were involved in encouraging this type of an insurrection. Now, I don't know whether or not it's reasonable to believe that they knew exactly what was going to happen. I don't know whether or not it's reasonable to believe that they knew that people would be killed, that people would be injured, right. and that this type of chaos would break out. But that's why you want to look at the records, at least initially, to see if there's some initial contact mm -hmm. that can be objectively established between GOP members of Congress and insurrectionists. Well, holy shit. Um, you know what? I want to talk about Merrick Garland in a second. But first, we have to take a quick break, and we will be right back after this message. And we are back. So let's talk about Merrick Garland. Do you think – what do you think of what he's doing? I've had so many people on the show. One thinks he's great. One doesn't. What do you think? I'm, I'm both of those people. I am the Sybil <laughs> split personality that feels – He's great in some ways because in one of the most important jobs I think he, he has is to try and make the Justice Department, again, an independent agency that is not a lapdog of the president or the White House. And mm -hmm. I certainly think he's doing a good job at that. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part of me um, says, but all this horrible stuff happened and there seems to be a whole lot of evidence and we're not seeing a whole lot of prosecutions against some of the main players. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I understand both sides of the coin. I am, you know, I'm a pancake on this one. I'm on both <laughs> flip sides of it. Um, but what I do have to say is that people's perceptions about how justice department investigations work are often not accurate. The idea that, you know, you can see a whole lot of stuff on television that seems to be really good evidence. And next week, you'll have a Justice Department, you know, grand jury indictment is just not how things work. I mean, there is so much effort and so much time that's required to actually do a thorough investigation that the public doesn't see and doesn't know what's being investigated, that it's really difficult for me to condemn the Justice Department at this stage of the game, you know, mm -hmm. seven months into Biden's presidency, yeah. seven months into less actually into Merrick Garland being the attorney general. Right, yeah. um, but I worry in the same way that people do that, you know, that that he and the Justice Department and the administration won't want to rock the boat by bringing serious charges against mm -hmm. high-ranking people. Yeah, I mean, Scott Dworkin was here last Wednesday, and he made the point that the Justice Department has to clean out all the corrupt people, and that that's a huge task, and it takes time. And I do think that that's accurate, and I, I feel the way you do. Um, I'm not. Sometimes I feel impatient, but I also realize that I don't know all the, you know, I'm just a fucking podcaster, so I don't get to decide what Merrick Garland is going to do. Um, you know, but I mean, but listen, I'm you know, Kimberly, you're so right because here's the problem it's not like we know 
six months or a year from now, definitely there's going to be a charge, mm -hmm. you know, a serious mm -hmm. charge against people who are high ranking. And, you know, we can just sort of sit back and let DOJ do their thing. Part of us knows that we should probably do that. But the other part of us says, well, wait a minute. If really they're not doing anything and it's never going to amount to anything because of potentially political reasons, we want to keep screaming about it mm -hmm. so right. that we can try and make something happen. It's a real balancing test yes. and it's it's a bad place to be in. It is. and But I, I totally agree that it's important sometimes just like you said, screaming about it and putting it out into the universe helps them to become aware and maybe it will influence them in some way. And so, you know, that that's what I'm hoping for. I, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen to Donald Trump just because, you know, I mean, there's that whole line of, oh, well, nothing's that he's never had to pay for any of his crimes and therefore he will never have to. I don't necessarily believe that. I think there's, a, you know, there's always a first time for something. Um, but this is the president of the United States or an ex-president of the United States, even though, in my opinion, an illegitimate one. Um, I, I don't know that there's going to be the, the guts to get him indicted on something really big. I will ask you this, though, because I've had Terry Kainfeld on. She is a lawyer. And one of the points that she had made, and this was a while back, she said, you know, obviously it's very difficult to prove guilt when you're, you know, for like inciting an insurrection, whereas you get your taxes and you can see right there the numbers don't lie. If there are um, crimes committed and tax fraud and everything, it's all there on paper and it adds up, whereas it's much more difficult to pin incitement. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, you know, some in some ways that's true. I mean, you know, tax cases are typically considered to be paper cases that you don't have to spend a lot of effort, you know, looking for a witness who will say, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I saw the gun come out of his pocket and shoot the person. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with that. The problem is, in part, with tax cases, there's still a measure of intent and knowledge that you have to prove. And so, you know, that's one of, I mean, if you make an innocent mistake thinking you're doing the right thing, it, it right. may very well not comply with a criminal tax violation. Mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly easier because in many ways the numbers don't lie. Um, with that said, uh, I don't know that Trump is personally ever going to be charged with a tax offense. You know, his company was um, by the Manhattan DA and, you know, his CEO um, or chief financial officer Weisselberg was in fact charged mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that he will ultimately flip mm -hmm. although I don't know if that's going to happen I think that there's a reasonable possibility that it will now with respect to things like inciting a riot um, or trying to extort uh, Ukraine in order to get them mm -hmm. to uh, you know manufacture dirt on a political opponent um, you know, it's the same thing that every prosecutor has to prove in virtually every case, and that is knowledge of what you're doing and the intention to do something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't intention can't be photographed and intention can't right. be, uh, you know, videotaped. So you look at the circumstances to prove a person's intent. Um, you know, when you're trying to do that. And there are circumstances that often accomplish that. Um, you know, here is the problem. And I wrote a piece about this for USA Today. 
Part of the analysis the DOJ does when they decide whether or not they're going to prosecute a person is whether or not they think it's reasonably plausible that they're going to be able to convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt of the person's guilt. Mm -hmm. That's not the only analysis, but that's part of the analysis. Mm -hmm. And the danger for DOJ or any state prosecutor is that you're going to end up with one or two or three Trump supporting jurors and they're going to constantly hang the jury regardless of how strong the evidence is and it's a miserable to experience to be in if you're a prosecutor and you know or think that that's almost almost definitely going to happen yeah and that i think weighs against the idea of trump personally being charged that's interesting and i hate that but yeah that's a really good point yeah i hate it too because <laughs> that means that the crazier cultist personality uh, that you are the more crazy and cultist you know with this nutty mm-hmm. following of people who blindly accept what you say yeah. even though it's factually proven to be a lie will actually allow you to protect yourself against criminal liability. It's insane. Isn't oh it? my God. It's just fucking maddening. Um, but the, and then this just kind of takes me into what might happen in 2022. Um, first of all, how confident are you that Biden and Schumer have some kind of strategy to convince Manchin and cinema to support at least reform of the filibuster? I'm not confident at all. Um, And I'm depressed that I'm not confident at all. And the little tiny scrap of my mind that hadn't exploded up until now on those two other big topics we discussed, (laughs) (laughs) it's gone. You know, it's all over my kitchen table. (laughs) Because, you know, the reality is that without... Uh, you know, without reforming the filibuster, we're not going to get these things that are the most important things done, like voting reform, Mm -hmm. because, you know, there aren't the votes without those without those two votes. If you've got a requirement that you have 60 votes. And here's the thing. If you don't have free voting, if you don't I mean, if there is voter suppression, then nothing else matters because the Republicans can gerrymander their way and, uh, you know, manipulate their way into not letting anything pass that would be considered, you know, a, a reasonable democratic effort. Yeah. And that's a huge danger. Without voting rights, we've got zilch. Yeah. And that's I, I go back and forth on this, like, you know, like, because I guess I, I have all these different people in the show and I ask them their opinion. Occasionally somebody says something that gives me a little hope and then occasionally somebody's like, no, we're fucking doomed. And I kind of go along with whatever they're saying in the day just because I, it's like, it's it's really up in the air right now. I don't have a lot of confidence that it's going to pass, but I, you know, I don't know if there is enough motivation out there to overcome the massive suppression. And, you know, it's it's so clear and obvious to me and it should be to everybody, that the Republicans are just never going to stop until they can take control. Once they have control, they will not let it go, and America is over. The American experiment is over. And and listen, Democrats play some responsibility in that. Mm-hmm. You know, we Republicans circle the wagons and they protect their own, no mm-hmm. matter how yes. horrific, no matter how stupid, no matter how big the lie, you know, whatever it is that some Republican politician says, if they're a Republican, they're going to be supported by the other Republicans. Democrats, on the other hand, 
you know, do an amazing job of eating their own. Yes, I mean, there, you know, there's just never an opportunity that they miss. Not all of them, obviously, but there's never an opportunity that a huge chunk of Democrats yeah. miss to try and take to task some innocuous, silly misstatement or misstep or policy, um, you know, imperfection that a Democrat that a Democrat does. And they tear us apart from the inside. Mm -hmm. And it's enormously frustrating. And frankly, it's going to leave us eating Republican dust from here to eternity if we don't change it. It's absolutely true because I've been, you know, as a feminist and as a liberal and, and I've been able to, uh, I've had access to like fake Facebook pages that have huge amount of reach. And I've noticed that when, you know, I mean, it's one thing to get the trolls, the MAGA trolls and the right wing trolls attacking you and saying everything. But oh my God, when you piss off liberals, when a liberal oh, yeah. pisses off, they want fucking blood and they won't yeah. stop. They just won't fucking stop. At least the MAGAs go away and find someone else to bother. But it's like they – and I'm not – there's a couple different things. The one thing that I will bring up, and uh, I just have to give a shout-out to Mooney Gal, one of the listeners, because he always picks up on little funny things. And the last time I told this story on Bob Seska's show, um, and, he, and he picked up on the one word, which was gypsy. But uh, th there was a guy that I was working with at Liberals Unite, and he wrote an article about this little girl who had this really high IQ, and – she was a gypsy and he referred to her as a gypsy and I mean oh my god I posted it on a feminist page and I can't even tell you the anger and rage because the real Ugh. I guess the real name is Roma which I didn't know I hadn't I didn't write the article but I didn't know that that so you were probably accused of being a horrible racist <laughs> pig, right? Yes, and the page they were all coming after the page, and this guy Sam wrote. I, I'm it. sorry, Kimberly. I may have to end this this show right now because I just do not think <laughs> that I can do a show with someone who referred to someone <laughs> unintentionally, you know, without the intent of hurting someone right. as a gypsy. I mean, I, I I just don't know. Oh my God, it was unfucking real, and it was like the blood that they wanted, and that's another thing that Democrats do. It's like we. We get so fucking rageful, and sometimes it's an in innocent mistake. You know, yeah. it's like th there's new language that comes up every day, and I'm always trying to keep up with it. I mean, I always consider I'm a Gen X uh, person, so as a Gen Xer, I'm a little crude, and not, I'm not always politically correct. Uh, you know, but but I also recognize that there's certain language and there's certain things that are said that, you know, are offensive to people. So I make the effort and I have no problem referring to these people as Romas, but it's just, it's like, I wish Democrats would chill the fuck out sometimes because you know, listen, so crazy. I, I, not only do I get you, but I have spent the last month and a half writing an article largely about that issue as it relates to race and racism. Now, I don't know that anyone is going to be willing to publish it because it's going to be <laughs> extremely controversial, but that's exactly the point that I'm making in, in this piece that I'm working on, which is that do not attack people who unintentionally say something that you perceive to be imperfect. Right. That isn't, you know, that is not a good use of our resources. It trivializes real racism and real impropriety where mm -hmm. it actually exists exists mm -hmm. and we need to stop doing that yeah good luck with that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> plus it's double the length of what it should be so 
know, you and I may be talking about it as we read it, uh, you know, on the computer together at some point. Because <laughs> as I said, who knows if anyone will publish Right. Well, and I know, I, I thought this was amazing. You did a piece on, um, oh God, Matt Damon. And yes. it was about his use of the word fag. And yep. then I think you got attacked by Bill Maher, didn't you? I did. Oh my Bill God, Maher. I hate Bill Maher. I, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting at home on a Friday night, and I love Bill Maher as a general I, I rule. Generally, I agree with him. I'm sitting at home on a Friday night, and I see him begin his monologue about Matt Damon. And so I get a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> then I see where he's going, and the sweat is beginning to beat up on my forehead. The next thing I know, the headline from my article is up on Bill Maher's screen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It wow. Was, you know, and I completely disagree with him on that. Now, interestingly, he also went on to explain other other times that Matt Damon has been canceled right. you know by woke america and i actually agree that those other occasions were not legitimate but you know his attack on the idea that it was okay for a man in 2021 to not understand that referring to gay men as fags is a problem yeah. really struck me as disingenuous because yes. if matt damon had referred to a black person with the n-word right. i don't think we would see bill maher on television saying it's not a problem you should congratulate him in 2021 for changing his way yeah yeah and you know interestingly i was friends with this girl back in uh it was in the 90s and obviously we were very young in our 20s both of us worked in the beauty industry like in department stores makeup perfume etc where in los angeles there's tons of gay men and so right. you know and in my experience with her uh, there, she was never anti-gay. She was never homophobic. Anything. It, it was. It was just a given that you know, hey, we're we're all friends here, and everything's cool, and there's no issue. And so one evening, we I went out with my mother and her to this restaurant in Pasadena, and we were having dinner at the patio, and so it was the outside patio, and the only thing dividing the seating area and the street were just tall bushes. Yeah. So we were finishing up our dinner. And now, now I want to say this was probably in like 90, 94, something like that. And um, so we're finishing up and this group of men, and it looked like it was a group of gay men, came in. They were all really nicely dressed and they just, they looked fantastic. And they sat down and they were having dinner like everyone else. And we left and we were standing outside, I guess, waiting for the valet and again, the only thing that divided that, you know, seating area were bushes. So right. my girlfriend at the top of her lungs screamed the word faggots or fags, either one. And I remember being fucking my mother and I were mortified. I couldn't believe that she would say, I mean, this. So this is going back into, you know, 94, 95 time. It, it yeah. was wrong to say it. Now, the fact that she said it, it wasn't like, OK, and everyone just accepted it. I knew back at that time that that's not a word that you want to use describing right. gay people. And, you know, it's like here we are now. And the fact I don't believe Matt Damon at all. I think he's full of shit uh, when when he because first he said I can't remember exactly the, the details of that story. Maybe you remember it better. But it was like his daughter had he had used the word fag in a joke or something. And then his daughter pointed out that it wasn't right. And then exactly. He, and then he said he never used it or something. And it's like, yeah, oh, then, okay. you know, days after this was sort of brewing into a big controversy, he came out with a statement saying, no, 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 I never. Well, you know, 
the the way that the reporter learned that he used the word fag was that he told the reporter that in an interview. And I'm thinking, and and I said this in my piece, this may actually be a bigger problem. The fact that Matt Damon thinks that in 2021, he can say to a London Times interviewer, by the way, until a couple of months ago, I was referring to gay men as fags Mm -hmm. and not think that people are going to be unhappy about that is what is astonishing to me. It was like, no one's going to stick up for those fags. I mean, you know, I can use that word. It's <laughs> right. not a problem. But now my daughter told me and, you know, was angry at me about it. I've decided not to do it. Yeah. But after that caused, you know, a big response, a negative response, he then, you know, issued a statement saying essentially that didn't happen, that the reporter misunderstood this. Yeah. And interestingly, the reporter never seemed to make a responsive statement saying, <laughs> wait a minute, yeah. I understood exactly what you said. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, and then this brings me to the cancel culture. I want to just, I'll tell you my thing and then you can tell me what you think. Because most, I'm going to say for the most part, you know, very generally, the way I view cancel cultures, I don't think it's appropriate to go back to a film, you know, let's say uh, a 1980s film where there was an where there was a scene that would never happen today because we, we would say, no, that's not acceptable. It's not appropriate. Um, to fault 1980s movie for something that was acceptable at the time. It may not have been right, but it was acceptable. I think it's yeah. stupid and ridiculous for us to cancel out or to say, take that movie off the shelves. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it, if there's the N word in a film, we don't get rid of the film. It, it's, it's our history and movies usually, you know, are a mirror to, what's going on in the world. And so I don't think we should, I think it's fine. Like for instance, um, Molly Ringwald had said she watched the breakfast, no, not the, yeah, the breakfast club with her daughter. And there was some scenes in it that made her uncomfortable when Judd Nelson put his face between her legs and, you know, but she had the opportunity to talk to her daughter about that. And the truth of the matter is that boys do shit like that. It's not right. And the movie wasn't selling it like it was super cool. It was just, what the guy did and and how the girl responded yeah i I completely i am with you 100 percent. the notion that we somehow have to go back in time and sanitize you know the racism the homophobia you know the the sexual assault or you know Mm -hmm. borderline sexual assaults that occurred but were not Mm -hmm. shocking at the time is is wrong we should not be sanitizing that it is a part of our history and if we do not look at our history and if we do not right. cringe when we see our history we are doomed to repeat, repeat our it. history exactly. I mean, and, and, yes. and I'm going to even go one step further than you Kimberly I do not have a problem today in 2021 and going forward if movies have characters that use the word fag or right. use racial slurs yes. not because I think that those are good things I think that they're horrible but there are individual characters who can be portrayed as flawed or yes. racists or homophobes or sexual assaulters in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And we should be able to portray that yeah. in film, not as something that we aspire to, but as part of the life that we live. Yes. And the idea that we somehow have to stamp it out is wrong. And the idea that a word is so significant (laughs) that we could never allow ourselves to hear it scares me in some way. I wrote another piece I wrote for USA Today about use of the N-word. There is 
there has been a whole push to essentially not allow use of the actual word, even though there, there was a professor, for instance, who was fired from his job at a university in Michigan because he was quoting a legal case, mm. a case that was yeah. published from years ago. And when he was quoting the case, he actually used the N-word mm -hmm. as a quotation. Right. And he was fired from wow. his job. We should not give words no. that power. We have to look at the intention of the user in order to see whether or not it was appropriate to use that word or not. And when he's quoting a legal case that is public, mm -hmm. that should not be a problem. If someone wants to use the word fag or faggot, you know, as they are, like if I say, we, we've used it today. Mm -hmm. We have used that word. Right. We haven't used it as, as a word that is designed to hurt one another mm -hmm. or hurt anyone else we've used it in a discussion about the word and right. about what it means and about the horrors that that have come historically from that word so the idea you know that we need to stamp it out drives me nuts it's wrong-minded yeah it absolutely i mean there's there's an animal house there's that famous scene where the girl's laying on the bed and she's passed out and the guy's got the devil on one shoulder and the angel and basically he's trying to decide whether or not to rape her and mm -hmm. audiences back then didn't think anything of it. Nobody fucking said a word. It was acceptable. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a woman. I think rape is awful. I don't think it's funny to sit there and wonder whether or not you should rape someone. But at the same time, I don't think that we should get rid of that movie. And, you know, I mean, I know it's not everybody's movie, but yeah, it, it's a fictional piece. And it's definitely representative of how young guys in college think. And at that point, you know, point in time, it was kind of a joke. It was kind of, ha, 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 look at him. He gets to decide whether, you know, and maybe if that movie were made today, it would have a slightly different tone, which I kind of hope that it would. But, I mean, you know, when you're talking about fiction, I saw I saw this fantastic interview with, um, oh, God, what's his name? He was on Saturday Night Live, Garrett Morris. And yeah. there was this, it was, I guess, um, no, uh, Lauren Michaels had said that they were going to do it was prison follies and you had to come up with you know you're a prisoner you have to come up with something entertaining to do so Garrett Morris is like okay what am I going to do what am I going to do so he had he had been in this lecture or something where and I, I don't remember the details of it but it, it, it had to do with the n-word and and he basically was like if the n-word is in you know historic if, if it's in a, if a book we're just we're talking about saying it shouldn't be erased if it's in a fictional story and and, right. and what he chose to do was there was this woman it was a woman in a it was this group of people and she sat up and she sang I'm gonna something about I'm gonna get me a shotgun and kill all the n words I see so Garrett Morris did it where I'm gonna get me a shotgun and kill all the whiteies I see. And right. it was really funny and memorable because it was so fucking inappropriate. Um, but well, but let me ask you this. So does this mean that if we cannot use the N-word in fiction to depict racists, that we're never going to have movies or books yeah, about right. racists? I mean, you That's know, are they, they going to be, you know, is the movie <laughs> going to depict them, you know, driving, you know, through a street and screaming you're the N-word, you're the N-word. Right, exactly. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And we, we lose the opportunity to present art, right. you know, theater, uh, movies, television, books, 
in which we portray racists yeah. who are actually racists, who do the things that racists do, not as a way of exalting them, but yeah. as a way of showing how horrible they yeah, are that it's ugly. and the damage yeah. that they cause by what they do. And if we, you know, if we complied with woke America right. or many people who are woke in America, we would never be able to do this. And that's just wrong. Then okay, and then that takes me to so I don't feel that we should be getting rid of that or putting any kind of um, pressure on people who are especially with fiction. So like, but when you have a comedian who says something offensive, for instance, I'm going to go to Andrew Dice Clay because everything yeah. he said was offensive, and you know back in the day I laughed along at all the sexist jokes, and he he you know he he had homophobic jokes, and everybody yeah. loved him and thought he was fucking hysterical, and then he went over the line because he made a joke that it was okay to have sex with your daughter, and everybody was like, ew, we don't like that. That's not funny to us, and he paid for it, and you know regardless of what anybody thinks about that. Like, well, you're a comedian. You should be able to make rape jokes. You're a comedian. You should be able to make jokes about having sex with your daughter. You absolutely have that right to make those jokes. But the audience absolutely has a right to feeling repulsed by them and letting the comedian or the performer know it. Not coming to your shows if they don't want to hear Exactly. Yeah. That's all you have to do. And it's not about canceling because to me that's consequence. I yeah. can't go on the show and start saying, you know, I mean, there, I, I try not to – be overly offensive I mean I know I offend some people but I mean you know there are certain things that if I just went off and started uh, saying a bunch of shit that pissed people off well then I'm going to lose followers I'm going to lose patrons nobody's going to listen to my show so I understand that as somebody who's putting myself out there and I look at somebody like Bill Maher who I don't like by the way and the reason one of the reasons I don't and I used to love him even when I didn't like him very much, because I've always thought he was an arrogant prick, but I always thought he was smart and he made really good points and he can be really funny when he wants to. But he lost me. He, you know, he was pissing me off for a while, but then he lost me when he warned that Me Too shouldn't go too far. That just really pissed me off. And, um, you know, now he's, he's getting to a point where I, I just can't take him anymore. But it's like when I hear him and some of these other comedians, especially the male comedians, talking about the fact that they are canceled, it's like, well, People don't like what you're saying. And so if you're a performer, then you have to decide, are you going to die on that hill? And you're going to stand there and tell that fucking rape joke over and over and over again when people tell you don't, they don't like it? You know, I right. saw, I wish I could remember, but I saw, because I don't necessarily think, I don't like rape jokes, but I saw Jim Gaffigan, who uh, is, you know, pretty clean. He told a joke and rape was mentioned, but it wasn't, he wasn't making fun of people who were raped. I think it was, um, so it was something about like scary stairwells when you're alone on a scary stairwell and then you pass someone and you keep, you give each other this look and it's like, okay, I won't rape you if you don't rape me. And it's like, I think we all kind of understand, especially yeah. women. It is scary to be on a vacant stairwell in a, you know, like in a car port or something like that. That didn't offend me. Uh, that joke about rape didn't offend me. But, like, I don't think it's funny to make... There was this guy who was a bartender once, and he told a joke. It was about... Um, I wish... I can't remember the joke, but it really pissed me off. But it was a joke about domestic violence. Like, it was funny that this guy hit his wife. And mm -hmm. it's like, that's not funny to me. It's just not funny. It's fucking offensive. And so that's where I look at when I hear people talking about cancel culture, like especially these comedians complaining they can't tell a joke. It's like you can tell whatever joke you want. This is a free People just may style. not like it and yeah. they may not want to come to your show. Now, let me say this. There is 
there is a balance um, and it is a tighter balance than in real life when you're listening to comedy, because part of comedy is this exaggeration of things that are, you know, that make us unhappy and mm-hmm. things that are, mm-hmm. are, uh, you know, make us uncomfortable and that can in the right hands be funny. Mm-hmm. So I give more latitude when it comes to a comedian, although I, I have to admit you know, Kevin Hart made some horrible joke about, you know, beating his son if he found out that he was gay. And I just didn't find yeah. that funny at all. And I right. found it offensive. And I just didn't want anything to do with him yeah. after that. Um, you know, they have to walk a line. And it's right. unclear exactly, you know, where the line becomes grotesque, like mm-hmm. in the Kevin Hart situation, and where it's acceptable, even though it deals with a tough topic like rape, you know, like the Jim Gaffigan yeah. uh, joke that you made. But yeah, I get that. One thing I will never get over, and I wish I was, I wish I had been writing at the time, was Kathy Griffin's use of, you know, a, a Donald Trump mask with ketchup on it, uh, you know, and she was excoriated i mean she yes. was blown off the face of yes, the earth was. like a nuclear bomb had hit her in her mm-hmm. house you know for holding a mask of donald trump with you know with ketchup on it as a political statement you know by a comedian right. who was known to push the boundaries i so wish i had been available <laughs> you know that i was writing at the time because i would have supported her you know so strongly not yeah. just because i hate trump but because Free it speech. was wrong, yeah. the reaction that she got. And and it wasn't just the reaction that she got, you know, from people. It was the Justice Department mm-hmm. under the direction yes. of Trump, Trump and Jeff Sessions, you know, basically putting her on, uh, you know, on notice that she may be prosecuted for threatening to kill the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was insanity. And it was my old office in Los Angeles, where I was a federal prosecutor for 15 years, as I understand it, that did that investigation. I I desperately wish I had been there at the time so I would have been able to know exactly what was going on and whether or not it was the people in the office who actually wanted to do that or whether or not Sessions at DOJ was pulling the strings. Did you see her uh, documentary about that? I did, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I did. I had her on the show. And um, I fully stand. I mean, at the time, I remember feeling I was worried about it, not because I thought that she shouldn't have done it. I just thought, oh, no, this may not be the best thing to do just under the climate that was going on. Well, it wasn't the best thing to do because not only did Republicans go nuts, you know, they clutched their pearls in a way, you know, Donald Trump is is actually been credibly accused of grabbing women's yes. genitalia. He has admitted it yes. on, you know, on a tape that was publicly displayed. And Republicans were basically, you know, yawning yeah. and filing their nails at the same time. Yeah. But, you know, but uh, uh, an explosive comedian takes a, a mask with ketchup on it and they go nuts <laughs> yeah. as though, you know, as though she actually was about to go kill Donald Trump. But what really bothered me was the Democrats that turned yes. on her. That was something that I just couldn't get over. How many high-profile Democrats that mm-hmm. she had a good relationship yes. who just fell into line with the Republican pearl-clutching and outrage. That was wrong. Yeah, it was. And I mean, I thought that documentary, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's a fucking excellent documentary. And it really does show you how much shit she went through. I mean, she was detained for six hours at a time when she would travel at airports all around the world.
And yeah, I mean, it showed that she actually had to leave the United States performing and basically mm-hmm. go, you know, go tour around little country, mm-hmm. you know, little cities and countries um, because she couldn't get a job in her own country. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it shows her there's this God, there's this heartbreaking scene where she just breaks down and yeah. she loses it. And she's just so weak with with all the pressure on her and all of the judgment on her and I'm so grateful to see that she's coming back she actually just posted not too long ago that she got it was either a movie or a tv show I don't know um good but she she's kind of coming back and obviously she's gotten married since that although she did get cancer so she's treating that apparently apparently you know, it's it's very early and yes, you know, the assessment that I've seen from her is that it's going to be okay. Yeah, and, and let's hope because yeah, I think she's fucking fantastic. I've always loved Cassie Kathy Griffin. I've always watched her, you know, D list stand ups. I used to watch Suddenly Susan. You know what yeah. it's like watching watching her breakdown at the news conference where essentially she said, I'm defeated. Yeah. You know, you guys finally have broken me was you know mm-hmm. put me on on the edge of tears because yeah. you know i never thought that i would see kathy griffin in that position right. and if it can happen to someone who is as famous and you know popular and who has had as many accolades as she has for doing something as stupid and simple <laughs> and innocuous mm-hmm. as creating a joke you know with a mask and ketchup it can happen to any of us. Yeah. And that's the danger. That is the real danger of cancel culture. Exactly. You can be in good standing one minute and the next minute you can be, you know, relegated to the dustbin of, of, you know, cancel culture history. Yeah. And that's a really good point because she did get, like she legitimately got canceled. Some of these people like Ted Cruz or Madison Cawthorn, whatever his fucking name is, um, they scream cancel culture all the time, but they're still there. They haven't been canceled. Yeah, but wait a minute. Where's where's all this outrage when Madison Cawthorn in the last yes. couple of days is actually saying that he's going to, you know, take up arms <laughs> for a bloody insurrection right. if he's not satisfied with, you know, what he perceives to be, uh, you know, election fraud. I mean, he, you know, he he's not a comedian. No. He's not holding a mask <laughs> with ketchup on it. I mean, he's actually right. saying. A member of Congress is saying that he's going to take up arms and start killing people yeah. if he's not satisfied. I, you know, that doesn't seem to phase Republicans. That's nope. okay, but a mask with some ketchup on it, she needs to be drummed out of the damn country. Mm-hmm. It just, it just perfectly explains the the political climate we're in right now. That that's even going on, and that's unfortunately how. I mean, I, you know, obviously, I think the Republicans want a civil war. I think Putin wants us to have, Putin and other foreign adversaries who want America to fall, uh, want this to go down. And it's, you know, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene is also right now, um, you know, promoting, she's been promoting violence, whether it's right in your face or if it's passive aggressive, they're all doing it. They're all setting it up for another insurrection. I mean, I don't know. We have a different, we have different leadership now. So depending on whatever they want to execute, we'll see how that, you know. We have different leadership in the White House, but the leadership in, you know, the leadership in Congress that allowed right. this to happen, yes. they may not be the majority party, but, you know, they're still there. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy, are. Kevin McCarthy is still there. And instead of calling it out, he's doing things that are essentially trying to mask mm-hmm. and cover up, uh, you know, 
the Republican participation or the potential yeah. Republican participation in the insurrection by not even allowing basic things like telephone records right. to be obtained and threatening telephone companies if they comply with a congressional request. I mean, you know, we can say that Biden's in office, but, mm -hmm. you know, the Republican the Republican leadership is is exactly who they are and what they were still. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And I, but I hope that you know whether it's the FBI or um, the CIA or whoever it is who takes care of terrorist threats are really on it these days. Because, you know, I mean, when I go out just to simple run simple errands, the thought occurs to me: what if, what if what if something happens in this grocery store? What if something? You know, I mean, we've all heard about people getting shot. You know, just before all this political crap was so awful. I mean, it's always been what it's been, but it's it's right now the tensions are so high and people are feeling violent and they're feeling like they want to listen they can't deal with having to wear a mask yeah there, you know there was a, a security guard who asked a woman to put her mask on in michigan at one of those dollar stores and he was murdered i oh mean my god yeah you're right and you know and every day with you know with the restrictions that had been placed on us legitimately through, you know, trying to protect us from coronavirus transmission, illness and death, you know, it, it's worse, I think, than it ever was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are like a canteen ready to explode yeah. at any given point in time. And so that's why it is so imperative that when that happens, you don't have members of Congress and you don't have, uh, you know, Republican leadership stoking those flames yeah. or doing nothing as they rage out of control. But that's exactly what's going on. Yes, it is. And, you know, I just have to say on an aside that doing this podcast, um, it's always thrilling and it's always it's always fun for me. But when talking to someone like you is especially it especially makes me love what I get to do because oh, <laughs> you're you're thank you. <laughs> you're smart, you're interesting, you have great points to make. And um, I'm going to got to cut this out now or stop the show. I, I can't even talk. See, I'm just all over the place, <laughs> but I have to end the show now. So what I want to say is thank you for uh, being a guest again. And before I let you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? So they can find me on Twitter. It's funny because a couple of years ago I wasn't on Twitter. And then one of my <laughs> editors said, Michael, you've got to get on Twitter to promote your articles. And I said, but you know, I have a little bit of OCD. So once I'm on, I may be out of control. And sure enough, I'm on there way too frequently. We but, all are. <laughs> but if you want to find me on Twitter, and I hope you do, you can find me at Michael J. Stern 1. That's the number one. So M-I-C-H-A-E-L-J-S-T-E-R-N, the number one. Awesome. And please follow him. He's a great follow, obviously. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And you can find my books on Amazon. Uh, thank you, Michael. I hope you come back to the show. I will. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. You take care. Bye-bye.